Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. Welcome to the Women in Tech Weekly Remix episode. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hi, this is Kristen Shannon. I'm founder of Highliner Technology. We use technology to make managers the best they can be. We're based in London. Yeah, it was terrifying, but, and I was really, and I think all the feelings of like deep, deep imposter syndrome were so extreme. And the way I dealt with it was by trying to be as overprepared as possible. So I feel lucky kind of the process of finding this job and going through it. Um, But also I did things like they mentioned agile working on my interview and we didn't use agile methodology at my last company because it was an education company. And so I went, I read three different books on agile. I went to two courses on agile. I was just like ready to go. And I walked in and the dev team, which I ended up managing for a time period, they were like, oh, by agile, Kristen, we mean like agile feelings. And I was like, wait a minute, I've read all these books. Like we're going to do Canva and we're going to set up these scrubs. And they're like, we just mean feeling wise. And I was like, oh, actually all this terminology, all these things that we perceive as barriers and these huge changes are not as deep as we think they are. We set up a lot of really great agile systems and it was really helpful. I had had all that context. (laughs) But if I had walked in and hadn't known the history of Kanban, I still would have been okay. And I think the biggest thing I learned in two years in working as a COO is that there was a lot of things to learn, but you can learn all of those things. Just in case, explain to everybody yep. what Kanban is. Oh, so it is an agile methodology. So it's just one of, there are different styles of how you can set up your agile workflows, and Kanban is just one of the ways you set up your workflows. It's nothing secret. It's nothing magic. <laughs> you can read a couple of articles and get it going. I mean, I'm even self-taught in podcasting. Anything, exactly. it just takes watching a lot of YouTube videos. 
Yes. <laughs> it's whatever your style. I think that's huge. It's if you are open to being a continual learner, that's one of the most important qualities you can have in your career. And again, back to that idea of permission, I felt like I needed to, and this is why a COO role was so good for me because it let me see all areas of the business before starting my own company. And I felt like I needed that training ground, but ultimately I learned a ton and I learned everything is learnable. And where are you now? Like what, what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? Oh, interesting. That's a big question. (laughs) I think for me, I had been in the say as we talked with a big career change, but it had been a similar style of working and my development had been on a similar trajectory for 10 years. And that's a really big switch to then say, okay, I'm going to learn all these new skills, but I also had to learn a lot of new styles of working. So I am very operationally focused and not necessarily super comfortable as being like the front person or the lead salesperson. But when you're the founder of a company and when you believe in what you're building as much as I do, then you really want to be the front person because you want to be out there talking about the difference and the change that you can make. But it was a huge and is an ongoing obstacle for me to do those first steps and to put myself out there when I'm just so much more naturally inclined to quiet execution, not the spreading the gospel. I am Melissa Leñero, co-founder and CEO at Make. We want to make creativity a new mindfulness through creative activities and guided reflection. We're combining the behavioral sciences techniques with art therapy theories all wrapped in a personalized monthly maker box to increase your well-being. And we're based in London. We wanted to understand if people would like to use it, basically. So based on our research that we did, so we had 200 surveys and we also had in-depth user interviews. And we found that already young adults are using creativity to cope with the stress. So they do calligraphy at night or they do collages or like different creative uh, stuff. And that rang a bell uh, in a very positive way. So then we decided, why don't we combine these things and, and actively like, let's say, legalize or like make it in a way that you don't feel guilty by using me time and taking some time out of productivity to make you feel better. So that's why we are right now we're packaging art materials in a box. So we are curating creative activities guided through uh, soothing audio. And we wanted to make it fun as well. So we want to break the taboo of because it's mental health, it has to be like very calm and like very quiet. It's also like this is also fun and we can talk about this in a more comedy, let's say. Right. more fun way of talking about it and that you feel relatable to. Right. Right now we are running some tests, let's say science, scientific, we want to scientifically proven that the maker boxes help you uh, with the effectiveness of building and, and increasing your well-being. And we are understanding which side of well-being is that actually the thing that is helping you to build. And what exists right now? Like, what can I access today? So right now we have the website that you can go there and we launch our first batch, which we are sold out. So you can... Yeah. How did you do that? Um, so we start posting the photos of the, of the maker box and we start building our community and we write a newsletter right, uh, every week. We send a newsletter writing the updates and the learnings of the company. So we started to build this community around well-being and creative well-being. 
So from the newsletters, we sell the first batch. That's amazing. Yeah. And so right now we are iterating. We are learning from the users. We are learning from their feedback. And we are iterating in the second development. And, and how much is it, a MakerBot? Uh, so right now it's £15, uh, the subscription. So every month you pay £15. What we want to do as well is to give you some insights of who you are. So we want. Wait, to, so are you sold out of the membership then right now? The first batch was just a one-off box. Oh, got so it. So we okay. wanted to understand, okay, what is the pricing? Um, and how much fit. was that? That was nine ninety nine, so ten pounds per box. And how did you decide on the pricing? And did it work, or was it too low or too high? Or uh, so right now we have different range of costs because the maker boxes are different. So you will have a different material every month, um, a different art material. So we created a table, like the unit economics. So now we know that they range the different range of, of costs. And from there, we can take it to, to the market. So we are around nine to 15 pounds. So yeah, it's a good range. Hi, this is Alma Ramirez Acosta. CEO and co-founder of Vibio. We make app-controlled sex toys for people to explore their sexuality based in London. That's a good question because neither of us, Patricia nor I, come from an engineering background. So we took around three, four months to try to develop the design of the product um, anatomically. Yeah. So we did a lot of uh, 3D prints and user testing. And that was an interesting journey. But we face the challenges of, okay, how do we contact manufacturers now? How do we do the internal components, the engineering behind it? So, yeah, we got over that and we found good partners to work with. So now we're uh, growing faster in that sense. But, yeah, we've learned a lot. What does success look like to you, like a year from now? What would success look like? For me, it would be already being in the market, uh, selling and having our product out there. And where do you want to sell it? I, after, I, I know, Patri- uh, Patricia. <laughs> I have to, like, practice my Spanish. Um, she talked about uh, crowdfunding. But then after yeah. crowdfunding, what, what's the step? Or are you just going to be one of the companies that consistently crowdfund? No, that wouldn't be uh, our way to go. Uh, crowdfunding is the entry point for our marketing strategy. But then we would like to do direct sales to consumers. In the beginning, to protect our brand. But we also have conversations with um, premium and luxury sex toy marketplaces that we think could go hand in hand with our brand values. Actually, that brings up an interesting point. You said luxury. Do you consider this to be a luxury product or like what's the price point going to be? Ours is not luxury. It's um, a premium product, not only because of the price points. That's 99 pounds, by the way. But also because of the category, the fact that it comes with technology, that we have a good design, a good source materials, etc. So definitely premium. And how did you price it? We did a little bit of competitor analysis and we decided to go for the cheaper band of the premium toys. And it's still not as cheap as a 20-pound vibrator that you can find in, in other companies. But... We think it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be something that people can afford. And based on other purchases that people do concerned to their bodies and wellness, 
we thought basically it's like a reasonable price for something that you're going to put in your body and in your genitals. How expensive do sex toys get? It can be anything from 15 pounds to a thousand or two thousand. Uh, what? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> a thousand? Yeah, there are some like a gold covered sex toys what? and silver covered sex toys. Wow. That are crazy expensive. And how will you handle shipping? We work via UK distributor. So they act a little bit as a middleman between the factory where we produce the goods and us. And they organize shipping to the UK. And then we organize it to the UK, US or wherever we're going to sell. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.